The views expressed in this interview are those of the individuals and do not reflect the official policy or position of the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, the U.S. Navy, or the Naval Postgraduate School. Welcome to the Trident Room, brewer of stout conversation, unfiltered and on tap. On today's episode, Trident Room host Mike Wish sits down with Jeopardy winner Sam Buttry. Without any further ado, sir, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, everybody knows uh, this is a small community here that uh, that you recently won the professor's championship there at Jeopardy, and I have to say I was surprised that they haven't had one before. Uh, is my understanding this is the first one they've done? Yeah, I, that's my understanding too. And I had uh, for many years they've run a teachers tournament, but that was explicitly for teachers up through and including high school, and did not include college teachers. So this was a brand new uh, initiative for them, and. One thing that that meant was at the time that we were taping the shows, we weren't allowed to reveal that there was a professor tournament going on. So there were weeks when I couldn't tell anybody anything about what I'd done except for people who took my classes and needed to know. And then there was a second set of weeks during which I couldn't tell people how it had come out either. I'm sure that was difficult. I I would I mean for me it would have been a torment especially that that latter portion. Right. That's right. Well, particularly because I was fortunate enough to win, so naturally I wanted to lord it over people like my siblings and my son. We, I did. He's an adult, but I didn't tell him. I made him suffer. That, that way, yeah, that's 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 really impressive. Uh, there's a lot of folks out there that can't keep little secrets. That's a, that's a big one. So. Um, now, how, how did you hear about it? Obviously, I, I didn't even know that they were doing this particular tournament. I'm an I'm a avid watcher and fan of Jeopardy, and I didn't know that they were doing it. So how did you find out about it, and then how did you end up getting on the show? Yeah, good question. I've been trying out uh, in the regular way for some time now. And the way that that used to go pre-pandemic is that you would take a, uh, a test. In, in recent years, of course, it's administered on the uh, Internet. And then if you did well enough, you'd be invited to a second round. So my wife has been invited to that second round three times, and I once before. And that was a fun meeting where you'd go to a hotel, sometimes in Sacramento or San Francisco, and they would have typically a second test followed by a round of interviews. And sometimes the second test would cause people to be sent home, like it's tryouts for sports or community theater or something. Other times they would just accept everybody. But if you made it through there, they would say, okay, you're, you're in the pool. And you know, you're uh, available to be called, but the pool must be many times the size of the number of competitors that they need because of lots of people get put into the pool and, and you just wait for 18 months and then you're eligible to go again. So I had entered in the usual way. This time, because of the pandemic, the second round was a test administered uh, over Zoom. So there was a, an employee who would read me the questions and I replied out loud. And then there was a mock meeting by Zoom among a bunch of candidates like myself. But at no time had I been aware that there was a professor's tournament. I learned later that during some of the shows, there was a promotion that said, hey, are you a professor? Be sure to take the test. So they were rounding up professors. But I think it's just that I had told them that's what I do for a living. Oh, okay. And when they decided to create the professor's tournament, they remembered that. So I'm very grateful. Yeah, well, it certainly worked out, right? It did. So when you were going through the process, did you find yourself having to do a lot of preparation there or did it all kind of come out naturally and, and then maybe later on when you're actually on the show, you really had to get into the books? It was very much like that. I did essentially no preparation for the the home test or the interviews. And I think a big part of the interview must surely be um, your personality. I, I think they want people that are you know pleasant and upbeat without being too loud or perky. Uh, every one of the other professors I played with had stories about the people that were in their groups that were probably pretty good at trivia, but just 
honestly annoying. <laughs> and they wanted you to know how smart they were. So um, I just wanted to go in there and be relaxed. Now, when the real tournament came along, that's when I tried to prepare a little more in earnest. Of course. Yeah, I, it strikes me, as a, a longtime fan of the show, that uh, there, there's everybody there is, is smart. Uh, everyone has very good recall, which is what I struggle with, right? I, I tend to get maybe 10 or 15% of them right, but some significant portion of those are, I knew what they were, but I just couldn't think of it in time. But it strikes me that the, one of the biggest skills on the show is is the clicker. Is that accurate? Because that's something I don't think, I feel like you can't practice beforehand. Is that? You are exactly right. Uh, I went in thinking that the buzzer was perhaps a third of the game, and I came out thinking it was 80%, maybe 90% of the game. I think at that level, most of the players know most of the answers to most of the questions. As you say, you have to be able to uh, recall them. You have to be able to synthesize because the questions are written in a particular way that doesn't always lead right to the answer. You know, they don't say what was uh, what was James Garfield's middle name. That's not a question they ask. They, they couch it in some funny way. Right. But the buzzer um, uh, turns out to dominate everything. And I'm not sure everybody appreciates that enough. So how do you practice? Well, there is, for example, an app on the internet where, uh, well, I'm sorry, let me back up a little bit. Sure. Uh, People at home may not know that the uh, board on which the questions appear is equipped with two vertical lights of uh, bright LED, white colored lights that come on when you're able to ring in. You can't see these lights at home. And they're operated by a human being. So that person waits until the host or hostess has finished reading the clue and then flips some sort of a switch. And it's at that point that you're uh, able to buzz in. And if you buzz in too early, you're locked out for, let us say, a quarter of a second. So that's enough so that you've lost the clue, more or less. So there are competing schools of thought. I've learned more about this after the tournament than I did before, but competing, school, competing schools of thought on how best to uh, operate the buzzer. Do you wait for the lights and try to react to the lights? Do you uh, ignore the lights entirely and wait for the sound to end? There are people who say you wait for the host to finish reading the clue and add one extra syllable. Of course, that syllable isn't sounded. You, 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 there's just a pause. So you just try to time the technician who's flipping the light. So uh, there's quite a bit of mystery. People have written whole books on this. I bought one. Um, after, after the tournament. After the tournament, <laughs> yeah. Yep. There are gizmos you can buy. But uh, it isn't just a question of reacting because you don't know when those lights are going to turn on. You have to wait for the sound to finish. Uh, as well. So it's a bit of a mystery. And, and when you watch the great players, there's one great player who's playing right now named Amy Schneider. And earlier in the season, there was another great player named Matt Amodio. They uh, are very knowledgeable. They seem to know um, lots of stuff about lots of things. But really, they get in first on the buzzer 90% of the time. And I'll tell you, if I could get in first on 90% of the time, I'd be a pretty strong force too, I think. Uh, in recent, the last couple of years, it was, at least for me, it was really thrilling to watch James Holtauer play, right? And I think a lot of people, I mean, even non-Jeopardy fans were tuning in, not just because he was quick on the buzzer and getting a lot of questions right, clearly his knowledge base was strong, but mostly because of his fascinating uh, strategy in terms of, of the board. Uh, did you have any specific strategies going in? Did, was that something you considered adopting? Or it seems like everyone else has kind of reverted back to the more traditional Jeopardy-style play of, of I top to bottom. I enjoy the top-down strategy, partly because, as the uh, producers told us, they said, look, you're free to do whatever you like, but just be aware that the writers sometimes put stuff in an order for a particular reason beyond it just getting uh, harder as you go down the board. 
Uh, I have nothing but respect for Holzhauer. I, I don't know that I have the same ice in my veins that he did. And both he and Matt Amodio had the strategy of going to the bottom row, the most uh, valuable row first, to look for the daily doubles. There's, I think, good and bad about that. The thing about the daily double is you want to have a bunch of cash before you find it. Um, but it is also a powerful defensive weapon because if you get it, then your opponents can't. So I have been pondering my strategy for the next tournament, and I haven't yet decided how I'll go. Now, Amy Schneider, who's winning now, uh, has a much more traditional approach, and, um, and she's doing great. On the other hand, Holzhauer, who uh, not only won lots of games in a row, but his winnings, his cash winnings, were spectacularly big, partly because he was prepared to make those big daily double bets and partly because he got to the daily double through his strategy. So I don't know. I'm not. I'm happy I'm not going to compete with that guy. I'm going to have to take my chances with the current champions. Indeed. Well, there's uh, there was a lot of great competition out there. I didn't get to see everyone that you were on, but I saw most of them. And uh, it's and you, you also had great things to say about the other professors that were on. And um, That was a, a hilarious group of people. Very. I don't know how much of that was the shock of being on Jeopardy. Uh, of course, there was no ongoing champion for us to worry about. And the pandemic restrictions down in, we were in Culver City outside L.A., or inside L.A. maybe. Um, the pandemic restrictions were very strict, so we couldn't do anything. You couldn't have your phone, and then also you couldn't really go anywhere or do anything. So I, th I think we bonded pretty well. We're in a, a Facebook group now, almost all of us, um, because we've all shared this weird experience. But I will say um, one good thing about my tournament play was that I got to play against people who had already won Jeopardy! games. People like Amy and Matt and James are always playing two people who have never played Jeopardy. And they're thrust into the situation where they've barely seen the buzzer. You get a bit of rehearsal, but uh, my understanding was the tournament, we got more rehearsal. Um, so you've barely seen the buzzer. You're up against somebody you're already a little bit scared of. The lights, the makeup, wardrobe, hair, people buzzing all around you. So it's quite an experience. And because I had to play against people who had already won their games, it means I've at least faced people with experience. I have that edge going in. So, yeah, the professors were great. We're still pals. And uh, I'm just glad I walked away with a big prize. That is really cool. Well, I just, a couple small questions for you. Uh, in some of the interviews, uh, one of the things that you mentioned is uh, cryptic crossword puzzles. Yes, indeed. And it, it piqued my curiosity. I'm terrible at crossword puzzles, but it sounds it sounds fascinating. So. Yeah, the cryptic puzzle is a, a version that's very popular uh, abroad. And most English papers would carry a cryptic puzzle, and maybe they'd carry the American-style one as well. So first, let me say, with reference to Jeopardy!, a number of the Jeopardy! categories are wordplay style. Anagrams, reversals, words within words. And the cryptic crossword training that I've had, I think, really helps in those regards. Yeah, I think you did well, and uh, there was an image, a word image category that you did Yeah, there really was well uh, right. uh, triple rhyme time. There was the right. before and after, which I love. There was one about words that were reverses of other words, rhyme and a mirror, you know. So I think a lot of that comes from cryptic crosswords. And in a cryptic puzzle, each clue is its own little mini word puzzle. Um, and so in a regular crossword, you get a feeling of satisfaction when you complete the puzzle. But in a cryptic crossword, you get a feeling of satisfaction for every clue. You have to decode the clues, and they come in different forms. But in each case, you have both a definition and then a second way of getting at the answer, which might be through mixing up the letters or taking the first letters of subsequent words or uh, double definitions, this sort of thing. So it's a, a bit of a stretch, and I think it plays into Jeopardy's uh, wordplay categories. 
Well, and then you also, I think you, if I recall correctly, you also create your own crosswords and sell them. That from is time true. To time. I, uh, and of course, as a federal employee, I've fully covered the bases with JAG, just to let you know. Naturally. But uh, I am the uh, at least unofficial crossword editor of a British magazine called Significance. I'm a statistician, so of course, Significance is aimed at statisticians. It's sort of a mass market, non-technical journal of interesting statistical results. And as many British magazines do, they have a crossword in the back. So I make five or six of these a year and I have 50 bucks each or whatever it is. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. And um, I'm also trying my hand at the regular American style puzzles. I have one into the New York Times, which they have um, they haven't accepted, but they haven't rejected either. So I'm making progress in that front. Well, very good. And have, have you caught on to the Wordle craze that is exploding online? <laughs> I have. It's almost as popular as, as the, 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 your likeness to Steve Martin right now <laughs> well, in terms that of was very That was quite an experience. But I will say I enjoy playing Wordle, particularly because it's quite quick. You just play one a day. But I'm not sure I need my friends to send me that little colored picture that says how they did in Wordle. I'm not an enormous fan of that, but that's okay. Yeah, I will say that um, your readers may not know, but supposedly I look a little bit like actor Steve Martin, and this was um, a source of some discussion on the internet during which Steve Martin mentioned me by name. Now, I'm, I, I've done things in my life. I raised a child, and I wrote a book, and I sell crosswords, and I'm starting to think the most famous thing that will ever happen to me is that Steve Martin mentioned me by name. Maybe I'll take that. Well, we don't get to choose it. Sometimes yeah. it just happens to us, right? Yep. It is amazing, too, the persistence of all of this stuff on the Internet. Of course, we tell our children, anything that goes on the Internet will stay there. But if today you look up my last name and the word Jeopardy, all of this Steve Martin stuff comes tumbling out. There's no erasing it. That's right. It could I have did, been worse. I did have a, a question on a particular on one of the final Jeopardy questions, um, which, which was just a pure curiosity on your strategy for your wager. Um, the, the question had to do with uh, Japan's seizing of Jakarta. It was it was World War II geography, and you did not get it correct. And when I saw that happen, I thought, uh-oh, he's in trouble. But your wager was very small, and perhaps I'm way off basis here. That surprised me. I thought as a professor at the Naval Postgraduate School, uh, where certainly the OR department has done plenty of work <laughs> in the past on, on naval engagements in the Pacific, I thought you might have gone in with a heavier wager. So I, I had to ask you about that particular one. Let me answer that by backing up to the previous day, the uh, semifinal match, in which um, the final, it, it all came down to the final question. And the question, the correct answer was Queen Anne. She was the last Stuart King of England, a Stuart monarch of England. So uh, the, I was ahead going into that question. The natural move then would be to compute what my nearest opponent could max out at, taking his score and doubling it, and then I should have bet enough to beat that score by one. Um, which is what I intended to do. But in the heat of the moment, I got the arithmetic wrong, which is embarrassing for a professional statistician. We're all I, humans after all. Yeah, I, rather than double his score, I took the difference between mine and his and added it. I don't know, I, I just had the wrong algorithm. As a result, if, um, he, and he was a very strong player, if he had got that final question right, even though I was ahead at the time, I would have lost that game. So uh, that was a source of uh, much distress to me. I, would, I was kicking myself for months after, even though I won. So when it came to that first semifinal game with the Battle of the Java Sea, which of course I should have known, and yeah, I've worked for the Navy for 25 years, my bet was to get me in such a position that if I got it wrong, I'd be at 20,000 because then the arithmetic would subsequently be easier. I was just panicking about arithmetic. There was also a clue in that game that asked you what you got when you 
multiplied 12 by 12 and divided by 3. And I just wouldn't touch it. And of course, part of you wants to divide 144 by 3, but the other part says, well, you do the division first. But I just didn't get involved. Maybe it was by 4. So anyway, the uh, secret to my bet on the Java C question was that I, I just didn't want any mathematical difficulty. But I'm disappointed that I didn't know it. Uh, of course, I know it now. Well, you're certainly very well prepared, I think, for, for your next run, right? I hope so. There, uh, your Jeopardy fans in the audience may not know that there is a website that collects Jeopardy questions. They have over 450,000 Jeopardy questions going back to the beginning of the Alex Trebek era. So you can read through those for days and days and months and years, and that's really one of the best ways to get prepared. So I will say this. It's good to know things in Jeopardy, but you don't really have to know things. It's more like you have to know about things. So I wrote up, I have index cards, and one index card has a list of the most well-known novels by American novelist Toni Morrison. She's great. She's famous. She won the Nobel Prize. I have not read any of those books. Uh, I'm aware that Kendrick Lamar won the Pulitzer Prize, but I have not heard any Kendrick Lamar. I haven't read any John Milton or Keats. I don't know anything about, um, oh, the the art of India, except, well, that's not a good example because I don't know anything about that. But you, you know what I'm saying. You, you learn the key facts and dates without maybe the depth of understanding that we'd like to have. So one of the things I've been doing as I prepare is try to learn a little bit more about the things, and not just the facts of the things, but maybe take some time to read some of these poems, books, plays, histories, and so on. Well, well, very good. And in, in addition to all of your teaching and, and everything else that you're, that you're doing here, right? That's true. So we all have full-time jobs, and the professors were commiserating about that. They, we had guys that were going back to write papers and do grading and do legal briefs in between games, which was awfully rough. I bet. But I will say, if you're in a tournament, you have um, one other thing that your folks may not know, and that is this. In regular Jeopardy, if you're invited to Jeopardy, you pay your own way. You fly your way down there, you buy a hotel room, and, uh, you know, you eat food. In the tournaments, they pay you. So the uh, not only is the minimum payoff $5,000 instead of $1,000, but they, um, they buy your transportation. They send a nice big car to the airport to pick you up. They give you a per diem, which, by the way, is a little bit better than the federal government per diem. Shocking. Yeah, shocking, I know. <laughs> um, so it's a, a really a pleasant, no-lose experience. Um, so I was delighted to do it. Um, they, I'm delighted that the Jeopardy people selected a set of universities that was a little bit broader than they might have. You know, they might have gone Princeton and Stanford and, and Vanderbilt and UCLA. But in fact, we had a historically black college, the Navy school, which is kind of unusual. We had two-year schools and four-year schools, big universities with football teams and tiny universities with nothing like that. Um, and I thought it was a really good mix, both in terms of the players themselves, but also the colleges, to show the um, the reach that higher education has, I think, in the U.S. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, yeah, so la last question here uh, to finish up, which is a question I ask everybody uh, that I have on, and I'm actually going to split it into, into two subgroups with you here. The, the question usually is, what advice do you have for, for the students, for the, for the military officers that are here? Uh, certainly your students uh, probably hear that directly from you, but many here uh, haven't had that opportunity. Uh, but I'd like you to give advice to maybe an, an additional subset, which is that any any future Jeopardy hopefuls in the ranks out there, uh, what, what do you have for both groups? I think the advice for the two groups is, is more or less the same. The uh, At least in operations research, one of the things that we have to do is bring together information from a lot of fields. 
combining information from, it might be um, simulation and statistics and uh, models of random behavior and so on, but also you have to know how the, the Army works and the Navy works and the government works. And in the same way, um, in Jeopardy, you need to know information from various fields so that you can um, pick up the threads of the question. So, for example, one question was something about the, the sonnet that was read at the 1883 Bartholdi exhibition. I may have those details wrong, but Bartholdi is the name of the, the guy who built the Statue of Liberty, or designed it anyway. And the exhibition then would have been the one that introduced the statue, at which point we all remember the sonnet famously inscribed on the base of the statue that includes the lines, give me your tired, your poor. So the question was, what was the name of that sonnet? But to, to even get to the question, you had to go through the clues. I think that comes up more than you think in regular life, that we want to synthesize the things we know from art and literature and science and music and what have you, um, and, and bring them together into uh, uh, so that we have a full set of information about everything. So my advice to people besides work hard, hand your homework in on time, is uh, try to broaden your horizons. Read more widely, and I think you'll, uh, you'll find life a little more uh, yielding. Well, despite your self-deprecating humor to the contrary earlier, this has been fascinating. Uh, it was really a pleasure having you here. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes to talk about your recent experience and uh, a, a hearty congratulations to your win and good luck to, to your future endeavors on the show and, and in life in general. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you, sir. Thanks for joining us in the Trident Room. For more information about today's guests and topics, please visit the show notes. The Trident Room has been brought to you by the Naval Postgraduate School Alumni Association and Foundation. For questions, comments, and suggestions, please email us at tridentroompodcasthost at nps.edu and find us online at nps.edu slash tridentroompodcast.